The book of Mark, um, on page 839, if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, we have little black Bibles under the chairs, you could grab one of those. Also, if you want to follow along there, we've been calling the series, Follow, as we've been emphasizing Jesus' urgent call to us to follow Him, to walk with Him, to be His disciple, to be a student of Jesus. And last week, we saw that Jesus was asking us to follow His methods, and we saw last week how, uh, for many of us, we, we may get frustrated that this world is still broken, right? Uh, we're walking with God, and we know that God is the, the one that's going to fix what's wrong with the world, and so as His followers, as followers of Jesus, we may feel frustrated. Like, Jesus, why is it, why is it still broken, right? Why haven't you fixed it all yet? And so He was encouraging us in that uh, area, that kind of beginning part of chapter 4, to see His methods, to see what He's doing, and we see all this um, organic imagery, right? That, that Jesus is casting seeds, He's planting these seeds, of His Word, of, of hope in Jesus, what we would call the Gospel, and encouraging us to, to then allow that to grow, right? To have some patience with what God is doing in the world. And we're kind of continuing that concept this week as we call it following the mystery because it's mysterious to us. We don't always understand how God is growing His people, how He is bringing hope in this world, how He is changing the world even though the world's not changed yet. We talked a lot about 2 Peter 3.9 last week, which is the verse that said, God isn't slow, as some count slowness, but He's patient. Right? God is patient and He's extending time to us, to the world, to respond, to receive the seeds of His Gospel, the seed of His Word, to take that in, to trust Him. In this refrain, Jesus says, He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus is calling us to hear Him, to listen to what He's saying, to listen to what He's doing. Um, we're calling it mystery this week. And, and what's interesting is in the first century, there were, there were hundreds of mystery religions, or you might say mystery cults. We still have some of these kind of secret society things these days. They seem harmless you know, generally to us. But, but generally, a mystery cult or secret society is this uh, kind of idea that there is exclusive information that, that only an elite few have access to. Right, And so there, there's always these groups out there that say, you know, you want what we've got and you have to go through these initiation rites to work your way into this secret knowledge, to this secret society, to unlock the mysteries, right? And what's really cool is that Jesus says, yes. He takes that language and He says, yes, there are these secret mysteries, right? There is this insider place that you want to get to. And Jesus says, and I've just knocked the doors off the hinges and you're all invited in, right? Jesus says that He is the mystery. The mystery revealed is Jesus Himself, the good news of the Gospel, that we're invited in to be with Him again. The, the lie in the garden was the serpent telling Adam and Eve that God doesn't really want you to be God. He doesn't want you to have the secret knowledge, right? He, he doesn't want you to have what He has. He wants to keep you out. And God, and, and especially in the form of Jesus, He says to us, No, you're invited in. I want you to be with me. I, I want you to have paradise with me. I want you to know me, and you are invited in. And so that's what we see in this dynamic of, of Jesus unlocking the mystery of saying, Yes, it's still hidden, and yes, some people still don't get it, and some people hear, but they don't really hear. But you're all invited to hear. And Jesus commands us to hear. And we're going to kind of unpack what that looks like. In Ephesians 6... Paul uses the language of mystery where he says, Pray for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. 
So Paul's saying, pray for me that I would fearlessly reveal this mystery. The mystery is Christ, is what He's doing for us. It's His invitation to all the nations to know Him and to walk with Him. But it wouldn't be this secret cult, this secret society where people are kept out. But it's this place that we're all invited into. Let me read from Mark 4. We'll start in verse 21. And He said to them, As a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand... For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Any of you ever read a mystery novel? And the mystery is supposed to be revealed, right? You still want it revealed on page one, right? I mean, part of the fun is working through that process of having the mystery uncovered. And Jesus says, no no secret is supposed to stay secret. It's supposed to be revealed. It's just like a light. A light's purpose is not to be covered up. A light's purpose is to cast light. And Jesus is saying that's who He is. He is the answer. He is the mystery. But His purpose is to be revealed. His purpose is inviting us in to see the mystery. Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. And He said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. So he's again going back to the seed analogies we saw last week. So he's scattering seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the words of them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. And again, the whole, the whole urgency of Mark is he's inviting us to be his disciple. And he'll explain everything. He's not trying to keep us out. He's trying to invite us in. Let me pray for us and we'll ask him to, to explain it to us today. God, we pray that you would teach us this morning. We pray that you would help us to understand your word, that it wouldn't just be parables to us, but that it would be truth. It would be understanding and unlocking the mystery of who you are and your goodness to us. We pray that you would just take away the hardness of our hearts and our resistance to listen and allow us to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. About five and a half, six years ago, a movie came out called The Da Vinci Code. Anybody see The, the Da Vinci Code? Uh, it was a book also, and it was, it was a mystery, right? Basically a mystery, and worked into this mystery was this ancient idea of mystery religion or mystery cult. And the concept was that the historic church had actually been covering up all these secrets, right? And keeping people out and covering things up. And if you want to talk about the details of the movie or the book, I'd be glad to talk about that. I'm not going to really go into the details today. I think they got a lot of stuff wrong in the story. Um, But what was really ironic about the story is that it seems like this everyday person breaking through and uh, kind of tearing down the elite club so that the mystery could be revealed, right? 
But what was ironic is that the everyday people breaking into that inner circle was a a Harvard-trained symbologist and a French intelligence officer cryptologist, right? And so it kind of reinforced that same old mystery religion assumption that only the special few that are smart enough can break in and get that special knowledge, right? That's the same lie that the serpent was whispering to Adam and Eve, right? That if, if you go this way then you can be smarter than everybody else and then you can have the inside information then you can be like God and you can have this special knowledge and then you can have paradise on your own and you don't need God anymore and He's holding out on you and the Gospel says, no, 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 you're broken without Him and God is inviting you in. He's inviting you in. He's not holding you out. He's inviting you in. The mystery is revealed in Jesus. And we have this incredible invitation to follow Him and to come to Him and to listen to Him and have Him explain these mysteries. Have Him explain these parables and help us to understand His goodness to us. He says in the, in the first verse we read, He says, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and, and not on a stand? In uh, Matthew, it's that same concept of a light's not meant to be hidden is, is applied to God's people, right? He says that, that we're a light. We're the light of the world and we shouldn't hide that light. And Jesus here in this section applies it to Himself. says He's the light and He's not meant to be concealed. There may seem to be some concealing that's going on, but it's based on the hardness of these people's hearts, the religious people who are unwilling to receive His grace, unwilling to listen. So Jesus continues to repeat, you should hear, you should listen, pay attention to what I'm saying. We talked last week about the analogy of God's truth being broadcast, right? And the, and the sower sowing seeds of the Word. And we talked about how, you know, I, I have this blessing of getting to broadcast broadly, right? I get to speak to lots of people. You may only get to speak to a few people as you share the truth of the hope that we have in Christ. And, and I have this wonderful blessing. I get this technology, right? I get to make my voice sound louder than it really is with a microphone. And there's dangers that go along with that too. Sometimes I forget to turn it off, Right? Um, sometimes this hadn't happened in a while but I think about a year ago is the last time it happened sometimes I'll all of a sudden hear my voice coming through the speaker when we're singing and my microphone is not supposed to be on when we're singing that's the wrong time for my microphone to be on right actually a few weeks ago I was out in the hallway talking to somebody and Adam runs out the door I was out in the water fountain you know saying hi to somebody and Adam's like your microphone's on and I was like talking to somebody and you could hear it while everybody's singing it was messing everything everything up but There are times, right, when you might turn it off. There's times when you don't want the light, times when you don't want the microphone on. But generally, its its purpose is to broadcast. And Jesus says that the main purpose is to be revealed. That, That is the purpose. The purpose of the sower is to scatter the seed. The purpose of the light of Jesus coming into the world is to be seen. Okay, it's it's not to be hidden. And so there is a mystery. There are things that we don't understand. There are things that are confusing. You know, we we say, God, I don't know why you're doing this. And and why is the world like this? And he says, it's all going to be revealed. He says, be patient. Understand that, that I'm good. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Trust me. The first thing that he starts to unpack is that the mystery is is generous. We're not going to get it unless we understand, again, that God's not holding us out, but God is inviting us in. And we have to have this disposition of grace, of God's generosity, to understand that this mystery, again, is not one that's meant to be a secret, only for special people. It's something open to all of us. We can all understand. We can all come inside. We can all be a part of what God is doing. In verse 24, He said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear. 
For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. It says, listen. Make sure you're listening properly. What I would say, the way I would interpret this is, is to listen by God's grace. Understand God as generous. Understand the, the abundant measure being given to you. If you do, then you'll measure out that way to other people. It says in verse 25, for the, for the, To the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And again, this is in context of understanding God's grace, of listening to the message, of seeing God as generous. That's what he's trying to get across here. It's, it's not, sometimes I fixate, I can be kind of melancholy, right? So sometimes I fixate on the, on the last little part. He says, and the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And I just think, man, that's so terrible, right? That's, that's awful. How can he say that? What he's trying to get across is, is if you see God as selfish, I mean, go to the, go to the parable of the talents, right? The, the one who buries the talent is the one that says, well, I knew you were terrible and evil and you're going to take things that don't belong to you, so I just buried it, right? But, but the other ones that saw the Master as generous, they spent what He had given them. They invested it. They trusted Him. They lived life with reckless abandon because they trusted that the Master was generous. And, and that same thing is reflected in how we hear how we measure out to people, how we judge people, right? This whole concept of the measure you use is repeated in Matthew and in Luke in, in connotation with the judgment, right? Don't judge lest you be judged. The same way you measure out to people, it will be measured back to you, right? If you see God as judgmental, if you see God as angry, then you're going to be that way with other people. If you see God as generous to you, if you see God as kind and gracious to you, then you will extend grace to other people. I have a picture of measuring spoons here to think about measuring, right? And, you know, in the old days, they'd measure out wheat or whatever it would be that they would be selling in the market. And what this reminded me of is my kind of daily or nightly ritual of making coffee. Right? When I make coffee, I measure out the coffee and put it in the coffee pot to have it ready for the next morning because when you stumble in and haven't had your coffee yet, you want to just plug it in, right? You don't want to have to get all that mess and clean it up and everything. So trying to have it all ready. My wife likes coffee really strong, so I, with joy, measure out heaping tablespoons, right? Because it just makes me happy to think about her being happy with this nice, strong coffee, right? We drink the black silk and we do use the heaping tablespoons, and I just measure it out. And when I'm measuring that out, it's overflowing. And there's coffee going all over the counter. And I have to clean it up when I'm done. But it's just, it's fun, right? It's, it's, it's exciting. And I don't really like the coffee that strong. So then I measure out heaping tablespoons of creamer the next morning to, to dilute it a little bit for myself. And so we're both being generous in that way. And he's saying that that's the way we should listen to God. With this kind of overflowing generosity. That, that He's just overflowing in His goodness to us. Again, not believing the lie of the serpent who's saying, oh no, He's holding out on you. He's holding out on you. He doesn't want your best. And Jesus says, no, he, He's inviting you in. Paradise is found with Him. Not on our own, but with Him. And He, he loves us. He's the source of all joy, of all goodness, of all generosity. And so He invites us to hear His generosity, to listen with that kind of generosity. A couple of diagnostic tools for you, right? To kind of figure this out in your own heart. One is, um, are you generous with other people? Or do you find yourself always trying to protect and guard the resources that God has given you? 
Now that, that's a hard one. If, if anyone's uh, ever eaten with, with me, you know, sometimes I, I kind of eat like this. So I'm trying to learn in that area. Actually, I've gotten a lot better at it. When we first got married, my wife, you know, would grab things off the plate and I'd be like, ah, you know, and almost like chop her hand off, you know. And I've, I've learned to kind of share a little more. And I'm, I'm kind of trying to grow in this area. But not just with our food, but just in any area of life. Do you, do you generally have a disposition of being generous, of sharing what you have? Or do you have the attitude of, no, I've got to protect myself. I've got to guard. Because the world out there is bad and God's not going to give me any slack, right? Are you like the servant in the parable of the talents that buried your talent because you don't trust God to be generous? You can't take any risks in life. You can't share what you have because you don't think God is generous. That would be an indicator. And I don't want to heap guilt on you. As I said, I, I still struggle with this. We all still struggle with this in, in our daily life, right? But they're little tools. They're little red flags to say, you know what? I'm not really living fully in light of this generosity that God has given to me. I'm not really fully understanding it. I'm not fully getting it. I need to repent. That's, that's the word we use. That means I need to turn away from that sin, away from my selfishness, and turn back to God. I need to confess this. You know what, God? I realize I'm not really being generous because I don't... I'm not really trusting you to be generous to me, but if I, if I trust God to be generous, then that will free me up to be generous with other people. Another diagnostic tool is, is when someone wrongs you, are you fixated on trying to make them pay for what they've done? Are, are you fixated on trying to make them pay, on trying to exact justice? Now this is a tough one, right? Because as God's people, we're to be a people of justice. We're to bring justice to others. But Jesus also says, understand that I, I paid your judgment for you. And as we understand that, then that will enable us to, to free others from that demand of justice. We won't have to always be extracting what people owe to us. But we'll be free to set them free from the debt that they owe us. Again, those are just little indicators to think, am I hearing God in a generous way? Do I have ears to hear His generosity towards me? Do I understand His grace in my life? Jesus says, He who has ears... To hear, let them hear. The measure to which you measure out, it will be measured to you. The next thing that he challenges us with is that the mystery is God's work. We're going to follow his mystery because it's God's work. Again, it's not something we can do. Going back to the whole mystery, cult, mystery, religion thing, a lot of them are based on, well, if you're tough enough, strong enough, smart enough, whatever, you can break in to the inner circle. And Jesus says, no, no, you can't make it on your own, but I'm inviting you in by my work, by what I have done for you. You can't break into that inner circle based on your own abilities. You break in based on Jesus breaking you in, doing the work for you. God is the one that does the work. But the kingdom is not something that can be managed by us. We can't make it happen. Look at chapter 4, verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Okay, Re- Repeating again the seed thing. We were there last week with the seeds. Verse 27, he emphasizes a different aspect of it this week. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. I mean, the farmer, he knows about fertilizer, he knows about plowing, he knows about sowing and and reaping, but he can't really make it grow, right? I mean, God makes it grow. Paul uses this analogy in Corinthians. He says, well, I, I planted seeds and Apollos watered them, but God made them grow. And we understand that we really can't do the work of of growth. But God is the one that does that work for us. So we have a part in it, 
This is the part he says. So he knows not how. It sprouts, it grows, he knows not how. Verse 28 says, The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, that once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Jesus uses this language elsewhere to talk about how there's, there's many that are ready to be harvested. And that, that analogy is used to help us to understand the idea of people responding to God's grace. We as the church are to be here to embrace those people that God is working already in their life. We plant seeds, but we can't make people respond. And we're there kind of ready, saying, okay, this is interesting, you should consider this, God loves you, this is what Jesus has done for you, and, and then God is the one that makes that grow. But the mystery is that we can't force it to grow. We can't stand over the seed and say, grow, grow, and just force it to happen. I have a picture here of a little kid flexing his muscles. Little kids like to grow, right? Those of you that have children, it's kind of fun to watch your kids grow. But if they're living in the house with you, it's kind of hard to see them growing on a daily basis. Maybe if they're you know, a one-year-old or younger, you might see that almost daily. But as they get older, you, it's kind of harder to actually see that happen. Uh, we, we've lived in Harker Heights for five and a half years now, um, but we're from Temple, right? So we... Occasionally we'll see old friends, but maybe it's been like two years, right? So we'll be at the store in Temple and we'll run into somebody that we haven't seen in three years and they're like, oh my gosh, are those your kids? You know, and they just freak out. They can't believe it. My kids are, are now fifth grade, seventh grade, and ninth grade, and those are just kind of growing, transforming years, right? They're changing rapidly, and people are just in shock when they see the transformation that's taking place. And I tell them, well, you know, we've learned the secret of, of making our kids grow. I, every night go in and I pull on my children's legs and are these special machines we hook them up to and, and that's, that's why they grow. We, we've done it, right? They weren't growing before, but now they're growing because we know how to make it happen. But, of course, it's, it's ridiculous. We, we know not how, right? Just like the man in the parable. We rise, we sleep, we know not how. They grow. They just grow. I mean, there's some things that we do that contribute, right? We fertilize and water, right? We kind of feed and we kind of give them the right environment for growth, but we don't make them grow. And Jesus is applying this to the spiritual life. We, we, can't, we can't force spiritual transformation in people, but we can feed, we can water, we can, we can scatter the seeds, right? We can share the truth, we can share the hope that we have in Christ. And we live in this mysterious age where slowly and organically the kingdom is growing as people receive the truth, as people take root and start to be changed by this hope that we have in Jesus. We can't force it to happen. We can be a part of it. We can scatter seeds. We can, we can reap. We can receive the fruit. But we can't make it grow. So this both encourages us to stay involved, right, spiritually in people's lives, and also encourages us to stay humble. We can't make things happen. And that's a hard line to walk because Christians traditionally kind of swing from one side or the other, right? Traditionally, we kind of swing to the absolute, ah, it's all grace and God does it and we don't do anything, we just sit around. There's whole denominations founded on that concept. We just don't do anything, right? Then there's others that say, we do everything and it's up to us, right? And if we don't do it, it's not going to happen. And God says, no, you've got to walk this line. You, you share the truth. And you let God make that grow. You let God enable that to take root in people's lives. You love people. You pray for people. You scatter the seeds of the Word. We talked last week that we're not all professional preachers. We're not all gifted as evangelists or gifted as teachers. But every Christian, First Peter says, should have an answer 
for the reason that you have hope? Do you have a basic answer for that? Can you at least scatter seeds at that basic level? This is the hope I have. I know I'm a sinner, and I know that Jesus gave His life for me. I really know. I don't really know anything else. I could take you to a friend that could explain the other things, or, or let's go to church, or, or let's look at this book together. I, I don't. I don't fully understand how to explain all of it, but I know these basics. I, I gave you these verses, right? Romans three twenty three, Romans six twenty three, Romans ten nine. That if you are a follower of Christ, you should know a few of these basic verses. You should learn some of these so you can articulate on a basic level of this is who Christ is. This is my need. Right? I'm broken without Him and He's come to fix what's wrong with me. He's come to give Himself. I deserve judgment, but Jesus was judged for me and gave me life in His place. So be able to articulate that at a, at a basic level. Be able to scatter those seeds, but also trust that God is the one that makes it grow. God is the one that does the work. He's the one that does the work. He's the one that mysteriously grows the kingdom. We go to bed and we wake up and, man, someone else's life has been transformed. It's one of the most awesome things about working at the church is I get to hear numbers of stories, right? Uh, not just the neighbor I'm praying for, not just the friend I'm praying for, but just being a pastor of church, I get to hear multiple stories and hear how you and how you and how you are sharing with other people and how transformation has begun to take place in people's lives. That's that's a wonderful thing to get to see. We hope to encourage you more with with more of those stories as we move forward as a church, sharing those with you more publicly. The last thing that we see is that the mystery will expand. Um, It's not going to just stop there, right? It's not just the one thing that that grows and, wow, I didn't didn't do that, God did that. But but there's going to be this kind of global expansion, this continual growth that's going to continue to take place. Look at verse 30. This is his other little parable. He said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like the grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground, on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So Jesus is using this analogy. He uses another analogy with this in Matthew where it says he also compares it to yeast, right? How small is yeast? You want to show me with your hand? Pretty small, right? Yeah, yeast is small, microscopic, you would even say. But it grows. You see the effect. You see it have this transformative, big effect as it expands bread or as it ferments beer or whatever it's doing, right? It's expanding and and growing out. It's changing things. It's transforming things. And he's saying it's it's like a mustard seed. Mustard seed is a tiny little seed. You throw it in the ground, you can barely even see it, and then great things happen. I have a picture here for you just to get to the full effect here. of. There's a picture of a mustard seed. What do you think? It's probably so small you can't even see it, right? Can you see it? You can't see it, can you? Yeah, it's so small you can't even see it. But, but it grows, it really does grow to become the largest of the garden plants. It becomes quite big. Some of you are still like, was it there? <laughs> it was just a blank slide, I'm sorry. Was that wrong of me? That was wrong of me, wasn't it? Yeah. But if it was there, you would not have been able to see it, I promise, okay? Um, I just couldn't figure out the pixelation and all that to make it really work. But it's this tiny thing. It's so small you can't see it. It's so small, really, you'd miss it. But then you see it later. You can see it later. And that's the mystery of the time that we live in. We live in this time. Jesus hasn't fixed everything yet, right? But He's fixed the ultimate problem, our separation from God. He's taken the judgment that we deserve. He's bridged the gap. He's brought us back to God. He's restoring us to Him. 
and He's transforming the world. So we see this ultimate solution in what Jesus has done, this little seed that's planted in men and women's hearts that is going to grow and is going to change the world. He uses this analogy of it's the largest of the garden plants, right? It's the most tree-like of everything else in your garden. You've got this little herb garden, you've got some tomatoes or some zucchini, and it's the one that grows to be up 10 feet tall, and birds actually will perch in this large shrub or this large tree that would grow in your garden, right? Not like anything else in your little herb garden your window box. It's big. It starts to transform things. And he's saying you're going to start to see that effect in the world. One of the things that we see is that the gospel addresses the most central, most root issue in our hearts. And if we want to transform the world economy, if we want to transform the world education system, if we want to transform uh, all the social issues that are facing the day, what we recognize is first we have to address people's hearts. Right? We have to unlock people's hearts so they're no longer selfish, so they're no longer obsessed with self. But they can now glory in God and that turns us loose. Once we fulfill the Great Commission or as we fulfill the Great Commission of leading people to follow Christ, then that enables us to then, as a people, fulfill the Cultural Commission of Genesis 1 and 2 where it says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and, and live out my image in the world. We can only do that well as we live lives in submission to Jesus. Hearing by grace. The God's not holding out on us, but He's bringing us in. That, that He loves us, that He's restoring us to Himself. Well, just to wrap up, in the last few verses, verse 33, it says, With many such parables or, or secret mysterious stories, would be another way to say that, with many such mysterious stories, with many such secret stories, such parables, He spoke the Word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to His own disciples, He explained everything. This brings us back to the the series, the challenge of the whole series, that we are uh, to follow Him. He is inviting us to be His disciple. There's a a great spiritual episode of The Simpsons that was on a few years ago. And uh, in in this episode, Lisa is trying to disciple Bart in Zen Buddhism. And uh, Lisa is giving him a Zen koan. And these are these mysterious riddles that have no answer. And Lisa says, Bart, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Bart's like, well, that's easy. She said, no, Bart, it's, it's, a, it's a question with no answer. And he's thinking, well, that's, that's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. Why would I want a question with no answer? And I think Jesus, I don't think Jesus would always agree with Bart, but I think here Jesus would agree with Bart, Okay. I think here Jesus would, ag- would agree with him. And he'd say, yeah, the, the question with no answer at all is ridiculous. It's like a light that's not meant to shine, right? It's like a secret that's supposed to be hidden forever. No, they're made to be revealed. Jesus says he is that secret. He is the answer to the question. He offers us himself. Again, God is not holding us out. God is inviting us in. And, and he invites all of us to, to follow him, to see him as the mystery revealed. To see Him as the answer to that question that we're looking for. Let me pray for us. God, we thank You that You give us Yourself. Um, That in the midst of all the the confusion and the questions that we have, um, as we continue to not understand what's going on and why all the brokenness, Lord, You offer Yourself. You give us Yourself. You've come to live where we've lived, to struggle where we've struggled, to walk where we've walked. not only to sympathize with us in that way, God, but to make a difference. You gave Yourself for us. 
You took on flesh. You suffered and died. You took the form of a servant and were obedient even unto death. Taking our place, taking the judgment that we deserved and rising from the dead to conquer death once and for all. God, help us to be patient. Help us to follow you even in the mystery of the way things are unfolding here and now. Help us to be faithful, sharing it with others, inviting others in, pointing others to you as the answer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.